morning, I'll be uh, talking about faithfulness. And so I thought it was ironic to only have a 29-year-old talk about faithfulness. Um, it's a little early to make that decision. But once again, if you don't know me, I'm Jeff, one of the pastors here. And before we talk about faithfulness, talking about faithfulness, there's a couple here who have been married for 70 years. 70 years. Carl and Ruby Dirksen. Praise God. Praise God for your example of faithfulness and faithfulness to each other and to God in the, the vows you made. And may I hope the same for my marriage. And so thank you for that. Anyone remember the last time they were annoyed by the internet being too slow? Was that this morning? You see, I have unlimited data. I have unlimited data. I pay the extra. And they have this annoying thing where they slow it down once you reach so much. And I watch so many YouTube videos while I'm driving. I don't watch the YouTube videos while I'm driving. Sorry, poor choice of words. I listen to the YouTube video. And so like, it just goes so quickly. By the seventh day of the month, I'm already out of my unlimited data. And so then comes the dreaded buffering, the dreaded buffering of, of, of it just slowing down so fast. I mean, I've become so used to the internet being fast that I've long since forgotten the days of dial-up, when you were just glad it connected on the third try. But that reality is, is, is true for most of us. And some of us maybe grew up in the instantaneous age, the instant gratification age, where you don't know what dial-up is. But most of us, we, we probably remember that. And, and even if we did grow up with that, we've long since forgotten it. And we dislike waiting, having to wait for things. If you're anything like me, when I'm driving down the road, if I get seven red lights in a row, I think someone's controlling the button and saying, okay, there comes Jeff. All right, stop. Red, stop. Red, stop. Red. And I'm just like, oh no, what is going on? All these things are against me. But most of us don't want to admit how much better one minute rise sounds than the normal stuff. We become so accustomed to speed that we don't even necessarily enjoy or even see the need for anything that takes time. And yet, in our walk with Christ, no matter how many sermons we download and listen to, no matter how many books we read, how many uh, conferences we go to, how many teachers we memorize their favorite sayings, no matter how many songs we sing, we cannot accelerate. We cannot instantly get what happens with a long-term commitment to Jesus. Nothing in the world can replace the long, slow journey of walking with God stretched out over a lifetime. And that's the reason why I've entitled this message, A Long Obedience in the Same Direction. Some of you may know Eugene Peterson. He was the author uh, or translator, author-translator of the message version of the Bible. And while there are more opinions about that translation than people who have read it, what's undoubtedly true is that this is a godly man who lived a long obedience in the same direction. He was a pastor of a church for 29 years in Maryland. And even though he could have taken jobs at bigger churches, he had offers. He, he, could have, he could have moved to somewhere more illustrious like New York City or L.A. Even though he had all these opportunities, he decided to stay in one place for his whole life because he believed that God did more with faithfulness for the long haul than instant gratification. And in an age of instant gratification, spiritual formation, or the idea of following Jesus with our whole self, it still can't be sped up. We still can't accelerate discipleship. And in the passage that, that Rick read earlier, we saw the example of Abraham's faith. 
It's inspiring. And it's challenging to, to hear the faith that Abraham and Sarah had. And he went with, without knowing where he was going. He and Sarah trusted God to provide a child when they were way past childbearing age. And, and, and read what the author of Hebrews says in uh, chapter 11, verses 13 through 16. It says this. All these people, this is Sarah and Abraham, died still believing what God had promised them. They did not receive what was promised, but they saw it all from a distance and welcomed it. They agreed that they were foreigners and nomads here on earth. Obviously, people who say such things are looking forward to a country they can call their own. If they had longed for the country they had come from, they would have come back. They could have gone back, but they were looking for a better place, a heavenly homeland. That is why God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. They were looking forward to what God had in store, and that alone would be worthy of an entire sermon. But I think if we're not careful, if we're not thinking critically, we might miss a subtle truth behind this passage. Abraham didn't live his whole life of faith in nine verses. It took him nine decades. Nine verses in the book of Hebrews is dedicated to a life of faithfulness over nine decades. The danger in seeing a life summed up like this is that we miss out on the journey that Sarah and Abraham took. And the greater danger, I believe, is we tend to look at our own lives of faith through lens of moment by moment and compare it to a lifetime of trust and obedience. We tend to look at our life in the moment, like, am I being faithful right now? Am I right where I should be now? Am I mature now? Have I arrived now? And we compare it to people who've lived a whole life. We compare the summary of their story with the scene in ours. And today I want us to look at the whole scope, not just the summary, but, but all of Abraham's life and faithfulness that God inspired in him that led to this summary. The reason is that when we look at the life of Abraham as a journey and not just a summary, we will better be able to appreciate what God is saying to us in our own journeys, in our own faith journeys. And when I say faithfulness, when I'm talking about God, say, God calling Abraham faithful, this is what I mean. I mean a life of trust that leads to obedience. Faithfulness is trust that leads to obedience. Trusting God's promises and obediently following his call. Abraham's faithfulness is demonstrated in these two ways. It's more than this, but it's not less than this. Faithfulness is about having trust, what we often call faith, and faithfulness is about obedience. In the life of Abraham, we see these two things working hand in hand. His trust in God causes him to be obedient to God, therefore showing him as the example of faithfulness. And, and just a quick catch-up. If you're new here, it is warm today. Ooh. I, I, I mean, I need to lose a little weight, but gosh... Um, Anyway, so, just a quick catch-up for those of you who are new. Abraham is the father of the people of Israel. So if you think of the nation of Israel, um, Abraham is the very first that leads to the line of the Jews. And way before they were a nation in the Middle East, they were a group of nomads and pilgrims migrating west. If you look at the book of Genesis, it starts off with God creating everything that exists, and he says it's good very good when he puts the people into it. And then the fall happens. They turn away from God and choose their own way. And following after that, uh, there happens to be a bunch of people who continue to follow their own way. You could say they keep heading east of Eden. They keep going away from God. Abraham is the first step that we see heading west or heading back to God. So up until this point, everyone seems to be going their own way, but Abraham goes God's way. And what does that look like? We see this in uh, Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 4. It should be on the screen for you. 
It says this, the Lord had said to Abram, leave your native country, your relatives and your father's family, and go to the land that I will show you, and I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you and make you famous, and you will be a blessing to others. I will bless those who bless you and curse those who treat you with contempt. All the families on earth will be blessed through you. So Abram departed as the Lord had instructed, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he left Haran. So God calls Abram, uh, who we call Abraham, it's the same name. Abraham is the name he gets after the covenant with God. So he calls Abram into this place to leave everything he knows to go to a place God is calling him to. Think about that for a second. If God called you to leave everything you knew and go where he was telling you, would you? Would you go? Would you go where he's leading? Would you leave it all behind? Now imagine that same question, but you have no reference for God. You don't have the Old and New Testaments. Before the initial call that Abraham receives, there's nothing in the text that tells us that how Abraham knew God. There's nothing in the text. There's no previous experience. There's no knowledge necessarily. It it can be surmised or or a a reasonable guess would be that he knew the story of Noah. But we don't know. It is most likely that Abraham grew up in a family of polytheists or people who believed in many gods. We don't know how Abraham knows. This is a profound mystery to me. And even though we don't have an easy answer for how and when Abraham becomes convinced that his old beliefs are wrong, and becomes a follower of, of the true God. The truth behind, the truth, the reality here is the truth is that there are many ways people come to faith in God. Some who are raised in church. Maybe you grew up going to Sunday school, you know all the lessons. You saw the Noah's Ark with the funny little animals on there, the giraffe sticking out. Looks kind of like me. <laughs> or or, or, or maybe, maybe you started coming to church because a friend invited you when you were in youth group. Or, or, or maybe you just, you felt this sense in your, in your soul, in your being. You didn't even know what to call it. You just sensed that there was something more for your life than what you were living. And you decided to come to church. And there are many other ways. C.S. Lewis is yet another example of the various ways that God calls people to himself. He said he left for the zoo one morning, not believing that Christ was the son of God. And when he arrived at the zoo, he was convinced he was. And the point is that our categories for when and how faith and trust operate are often too small for the God who opens the eyes of the blind. But, but still, th- from there, Abraham continues in faith as God calls him. He, he trusts God when, Abraham, when he tells Abraham that he will have children as numerous as the sand on the seashore. He trusts God when God promises to be Abraham's children's pr- protector and provider. He trusts and believes that, that God is, is, is trustworthy when God tests him, God says, take your son Isaac with, with you up to the mountain and sacrifice him for me. And as he goes up the mountain, Abraham believes that one of two things is going to happen. He's either going to provide an offering or a resurrection. Abraham's faith is so strong in God. He trusts God in the day-to-day between the passages of Scripture that we see. You see, we tend to glorify, once again, those summaries of faith that we see in the Scriptures. We tend to glorify their faith. We say, I can never be like Abraham. I could never be like Paul. I could never be like John. I could never be like Noah. I couldn't be like those people. We look at these summaries and we think, oh, that's just too much. We we see their life in sections, not the whole picture. 
Abraham's trust was not proved in God just by going to another land. It was walking and living in the space between. Abraham had to have faith and trust in God as he was going throughout the day. His faith was just important on Thursday in June when it was 100-something out in the, in the hot sun. He had to be just as faithful in that day to trust as God called him. Because if he stopped trusting God on those normal days, there would be no special days. There would be no special days. There would be no, no faith story that we look at today. And there were probably days when he was tired of taking the tent down. He was tired of, of having to get up and move his stuff again. Days when all he wanted was to not have to keep moving. And this was Abraham. He had moments where he experienced God speaking to him. We don't know if it's an angel or the voice of the Lord specifically. But, but he had these moments on the mountaintop where he experienced God. Abraham's trust was established on the mountaintop moments, but it was proven in the valley of the everyday. Oswald Chambers, uh, a uh, pastor and, and thinker from the last century, he says this about mountaintops. We are not made for the mountains. Those are simply intended to be moments of inspiration. We are made for the valley and the ordinary things of life. And that is where we prove, we have to prove our stamina and strength. And that is a difficulty we often face in our spiritual journeys. We want everything to be on the mountain. But God gives us the mountaintop to help us live faithfully in the valley. There are times in our lives when God feels so near. Have you ever had that moment? You know, maybe it was at camp. Maybe it was on a Sunday morning. You just felt God. You knew that he was speaking to you through the scriptures. You, you saw him working in your life. You saw those around you who were just singing their hearts out to God. You had that moment where you sensed God was so close. And then the next day, you didn't feel him at all. There comes another valley. There comes another Monday after camp. There comes another Monday after the sermon that, that changed your life. There comes another day of work where you just have to go back to things as normal. Maybe you've seen God do something amazing, but then you wake up the next morning and your back still hurts. Another day we're challenged to trust God even when we don't see his hand or feel his presence. This is the reality of the journey of faith. The destination is sure. When we trust Christ, when we trust Christ, we know where we're going. The hard, the hard thing is getting there. It's guaranteed. God has already done all the work for us. We don't have to do anything on top of it to get heaven. Jesus promises it to those who are his. But we still have to live between now and then. God is calling all of us to trust him in the times that feel like valleys because of what we have seen on the mountaintops. Abraham understood that as he was constantly facing the realities of his and Sarah's old age, their lack of permanent housing, their lack of ability to control the future. But we may be tempted to think that this trust that God is calling us to, or faith is the opposite of doubt. I don't know about you guys, but I, I've heard many people think that if I doubt that I don't have faith, but this is not the picture we see in the life of Abraham. Look with me at Genesis 15 too. It says this, but Abram replied, oh sovereign Lord, what good are all your blessings when I don't even have a son? God had just told Abram, sorry, Abraham, that he would be prosperous, that he was going to make a nation out of his children. Out of, he was going to protect him and bring him all the way to the end. But Abram, sorry, Abraham's personal situation seemed louder than God's promises. Abraham's personal situation seemed louder than God's promises, and this caused him to doubt. Abraham had his doubts, but his doubts were always submitted and brought to God because he trusted God even when he doubted. I want you to hear me clearly this morning. 
Friends, the goal of our faith isn't to have zero doubts. The goal of our faith is to trust and love and have Jesus. The goal of our faith isn't to have zero doubts. You don't have to have it figured out. I don't have it figured out. Pastor David doesn't have it figured out. The best theologians in the world don't have it all figured out. That's not the goal. The goal is to trust and love and have Jesus. And God has never promised us the certainty of every situation, but he has promised his never-ending presence with us. Even as we walk through the valleys, there's, there's, Jesus doesn't promise that these are going to be easy, but he does promise to walk with us through the valley and to be our strength. Our trust in Jesus isn't based on the amount of our faith. Our, the validity of our trust in Jesus isn't based on the amount of our faith, but on the object of our faith. And we need to be able to say sometimes, like the man in the book of Mark, I do believe, but help me overcome my unbelief. But this trust leads to action. Abraham doesn't just memorize and believe what God has said. He obeys it. He leaves behind his family's land and goes to where God says. He doesn't just believe that God will give him a son. He waits for God to give him a son. Some of you may be getting ahead of me a little bit, if you know the story. But Jeff, doesn't Abraham try and speed up the process a little bit? He tries to speed up the delivery of God's promise. And this is another important point. Faithfulness is about trust and not just lacking doubt, but faithfulness is about obedience and not perfection. When a famine hits the land where God has led Abraham, they're in the land of of Canaan, and Abraham and Sarah are there. There's a famine that comes, like usual in that land, and they go to Egypt. And when they get there, Abraham, the man of faith, the one we're supposed to look up to, the one in the hall of, faith, hall of fame of faith in Hebrews 11, Abraham, this man of faithfulness, he tells his wife to lie so he won't die. It says this in Genesis 12, verses 11 through 14. As he was approaching the border of Egypt, Abram said to his wife, Sarai, look, you're a beautiful woman. If he had stopped there, he would be a great husband. <laughs> you're a beautiful woman. Unfortunately, it continues. When the Egyptians see you, they will say, this is his wife. Let's kill him. Then we can have her. So please tell them you are my sister. Then they will spare my life and treat me well because of their interest in you. And sure enough, when Abram arrived in Egypt, everyone noticed Sarai's beauty. So the point today is that if you haven't lied about your wife being your sister, you can still be a person of faith. It's the end of the sermon. No, i But really... <laughs> He doesn't just fail here and fail hard by being a bad husband and looking out only for himself. He also fails to obey God. He fails to trust in God's promise. He, he tries to accelerate and protect himself so that just in case God doesn't come through, he can do it on his own. And later on, he has a child with his wife's servant rather than waiting on God's promise. Faithfulness isn't about perfection. All of us besides Jesus are going to fail. The goal isn't perfection. God knew beforehand that you were going to fail. Jesus knew that while we were on the journey of faith that we were going to mess up. It is so easy to get tripped up by our mistakes and think that God must be done with us. And yet time would fail me to tell you, to tell you and share with you every single person of, of faith in the Bible who messes up, every single one of them. And yet God still used them, and he'll use you too. When you are in Christ, you are not defined by your failures, but by his love. Like Pastor David said last week, God literally loved you to death. He literally, God literally loved you to death. If God was willing to die for us, 
how much more willing is he to be patient with us on our journey of faith? And when we do fail, we need to come back to God. We need to turn, right, we need to turn back to the right path by his grace and continue growing in obedience. C.S. Lewis once said, if you're on the wrong road, progress means doing an about turn and walking back to the right road. And in that case, the man who turns back quickest is the most progressive man. As church people, the way to be faithful is we need to have trust. We need to have a trust that leads to obedience. And we don't have to have it all together. We don't have to be perfect. We don't have to have no doubts. We do need to learn repentance. But our faith moves us to act as though the promises of God are true, because they are. And when we live this way, we end up becoming faithful people. If you enjoy running, I respect you a lot. I used to run a lot when I was in high school. I would run for fun. I don't know what I was doing. Probably because it was dial-up internet those days. Um, but I used to run for fun. And, and I ran in a couple of five, five Ks. And as I'm sure some of you know, they're, they're an athletic-adjacent competition most of the time. But I, I like those competitions because I can almost win. And so I was like, I loved running in 5Ks. I loved it. And I become pretty competitive when I think there's a chance I can win. If I can't win at all, I just pretend I'm not competitive. I'm just like, I don't care. It's okay. But, but when I think I can win, I'm like all in. I'm like, let's do this. So, so I wanted to run my first 5K. And I wanted to come in second place because I'm a humble person. I want to come in second place. So I got up early the next day and I stretch and I warm up a little bit and I'm ready. We're all standing at the starting line. I'm standing at the front because, you know, I want to win. I want to win as easy as I can. And then we were off. And I was toward the front for a long time. Most of the race, I was in the front. But slowly, my hope of getting second changed into wanting to be in the top 10 because not only am I humble, I'm realistic. So, so I'm like, I, second, okay, top 10 is good. Top 10 is good. And as I was running, I began to realize that I had set an unrealistic pace. And two-thirds of the way through, I was gassed. I had no energy left. And I had to start walking. But thankfully, it was not a 5K filled with athletes. And so only a couple of people passed me. But then I realized I was in 11th place. I was no longer top 10. I was 11th. But I was not going to settle for 11th. I can be 10th. So I started running, but the person in front of me realized as he was walking that I was running. So he started running. And so now it's a dead sprint race to the end. And we're just trying to get there. We're just trying, it's him versus me, no one else, just us. And in the end, I wasn't able to catch him. And I think it's because I just got something in my eye and I couldn't, you know, whatever. Um, but, but sprinting at the beginning was not good strategy. Sprinting at the beginning of a journey can seem like a good idea until you've exhausted yourself too early. And, and sprinting in our faith is missing the idea that this is a long obedience in the same direction. When we get started in our faith, lots of us are on fire for Jesus, and that's awesome. And we wanna do so many different things. And maybe you start going to a church and you wanna do everything. You wanna be in every small group. You wanna be in every life group. You wanna be on every team. And then you realize that we start asking you to do everything. It's like, oh yeah, they're, re they're ready. And you just get a lot, and you're just doing all these things, and, and then all of a sudden you, you get burnt out, and then you get bitter, and then you don't want to go to church because it's work. Or, or, or maybe you go to all the conferences and all the Bible studies, and you realize your life hasn't quite 
gotten as mature as you wish it would have. Like you, you've been doing everything in your power to like take that next step of faith, but you're still not getting there and you become bitter or burnt out. The, the race of faith, the life of faith, this long obedience is a marathon, not a sprint. And more than a marathon, it's a very long hike. And, and sometimes you can run, but sometimes it's good enough just to crawl. It's not a sprint, it's a marathon. It's a low and slow path of moving toward where you're headed. And that's the example of what God shows us in the life of Abraham and Sarah. And that's all good, Jeff. You've, you've talked a lot about this life of faith and you've gone all over the place, but how do I do this? Yeah, faith is trust and it's obedience, but what do I do with this tomorrow? Well, I'm glad you asked. And I, I think that there are a couple of ways that we can do this. And, and these are the, the things I see in the life of Abraham. Three things. Get going stay on track, finish well. Get going. In Genesis 12, God calls and Abraham follows. Sometimes it's that simple. Maybe you're here this morning and you don't have a connection to God. You, you showed up because someone invited you or because you felt like you're supposed to or, or whatever reason. You, you, you're just here because you don't even know why. Or, or maybe you're, you're aware of your need for God you're aware of your need for his forgiveness and grace and, and for the life that he offers. And so for, maybe for you, it's just taking that first step. It's just acknowledging, God, I don't have it all together. I'm a sinner. I need your forgiveness. I need your grace to change me. I need to, to repent from the life that I was living and, and walk after your son. I need that grace that comes through faith in Jesus. Maybe some of you believe that faith is the opposite of doubt. So you have doubts and you're like, can God accept me with my doubts? Can I still be a Christian? Can I still be a follower of Jesus if I doubt? And the good news is, is if the death of Jesus couldn't stop him from being raised, the doubt of you can't stop Jesus from giving you faith. The good news is that God's power is greater than your doubt. And so I encourage you, wherever you are, to take whatever little faith you have, and to follow the call of God this morning, to trust him and to trust in his sacrifice and his resurrection. But some of you have already crossed that line, but you haven't done anything since. You, 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 you followed Jesus. You said, okay, I want his forgiveness, but I don't want him as Lord. And so maybe this morning you need to submit to the Lordship of Jesus. Maybe you don't need a savior. You need to remember that he's still God and he's still calling you to follow his way and not yours. And sometimes we all need this. So get going, get going, take that step of faith, whatever it is that God is calling you to do that you've been putting off, go. You know what that is. Maybe you need to get involved in a life group. Maybe you need to serve on a team. Maybe you need to start reading your Bible every day. It can be as simple as just downloading the YouVersion app and reading one of the plans that they have. The first step of obedience in trust is still a big step and God will bless it. So take that first step of obedience. And then the next one, and then the next one. And if you need any help with this, we are here for you. Come find me after the service. I would love to give you any help and resources and prayer I can. When we get going, even in our confusion, God blesses our faithfulness and uses it to take us closer to him. But we need not only to just get going, we need to stay on track. Abraham's moments of failures came when he took his eyes off of God and his promises. All of Abraham's moments of failure were when he stopped believing God's promises and started only looking at a situation. 
And I'm convinced our weaknesses are the same thing. When we stop taking our eyes off, when we start to take our eyes off of Jesus, when we stop believing the promises that God has made to us through him, it's inevitable that we'll fail, we'll fall, we'll turn away, we'll, we'll go down the way we don't wanna go. It's inevitable. And I know we're all gonna fall. I'm not saying to be perfect. Once again, faithfulness is not about perfection. But when we take our eyes off of Jesus, it's inevitable that we'll fall away from him, that we will start to live in a way that doesn't honor him. We need to stay on the right track by becoming focused on Christ. And how do we do that? Well, ask yourself, which is the loudest voice in your life? Who has the most say over what you believe and do? Is it yourself? Is it the world? Is it your inner critics? Is it that voice in the back of the head that says you're not good enough? Is it your friends? Is it the influencers, influencers on Instagram? Is it the ads that tell you that life should be this way, not that way? Who is getting the most, who, who is getting the most airtime in your life? If it isn't God, if it's not his scriptures, it'll be difficult to stay on track. What you take in, you put out. What you eat, what you take in constantly is going to reflect in the way you live. And that's why it's so important not to not only read the Bible, but to meditate on it. The psalmist says this in Psalm 1, verse 2. But they delight in the law of the Lord, meditating on it day and night. Meditating or focusing on Scripture is to internalize what you hear and read. It is to remember and remind yourself of what God says. To, to get into the practice of meditating on Scripture is one of the most forgotten disciplines in the modern church. We want to read the Bible, we want to hear sermons, but we forget to reflect on it, to take it in and, and then think about it all day long, to take it in and, and, and go, what does God really mean for me today on this? Well, what did he mean to them? And then now what does it mean for me? How do I live this up? If, if we constantly are reflecting on what God says, then we hear the lies from the world, when we hear the lies from ourself, when we hear the lies of our flesh, we'll be, it'll be easier to, to discern what, what's a lie and what's true. But we need to take in the scriptures and we need to reflect on them. In reality, the words of the Bible are clear that God wants us to bring our brokenness to him. And the voice, the inner critic can, can take that away from taking our brokenness to him to just being broken. The, the world wants us to, to, to run after anything that makes us happy. God wants us to be happy in him. But it's one thing for me to tell you this on Sunday morning. It's a whole other thing for you to believe it on Friday. This is why we need to not only read and hear God's words, we need to memorize and meditate on them. And that'll help us stay on track. We need to get going. We need to stay on track. And we need to finish well. Look with me again in Hebrews chapter 11, verses 13 through 16. Should have marked it, Jeff. All right, 13 through 16. All these people died still believing what God had promised them. They did not receive what was promised, but they saw it all from a distance and welcomed it. They agreed that they were foreigners and nomads here on earth. Obviously, people who say such things are looking forward to a country they can call their own. If they had longed for the country they came from, they could have gone back. But they were looking for a better place, a heavenly homeland. That is why God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a place for them. In order to finish well, we need to remember the promises of God. 
it says that Abraham and, Isaac and Sarah, and even their son Isaac, they did not receive the promises that they believed God was going to keep. They didn't receive it. Are you okay with God promising something for your kids' kids? Are you okay with God promising for this church 50 years from now? That's what, he's, that's what he did with Abraham and Sarah. Finishing well will require us to believe that God's promises don't have to meet our timelines. And yet we trust that since God has been faithful to us, he will eventually keep all of his promises. And this is where trust comes in. We will only finish well to the very end of the journey if we continue to trust God's promises. And I'll be honest with you, sometimes that's hard. Sometimes it will take all the faith you have to be able to keep going when tragedy hits. And there may be days when you need to borrow my faith and I need to borrow your faith just to make it through. But God has given us this church family to finish well, to help us to finish where we, we're going. But imagine this. Imagine that whatever you have to go through in this life, whatever God has come your way when you're here on this earth, that whether when you, we die or when Jesus comes back, we see the face of Jesus. Nothing beats the seeing the face of those you love after a long trip. Whether it's a 12-hour flight or a week-long drive, the reward of being with those you love makes it all worth it. And the moment when we see his face, when we see his face, he's not angry with us anymore. He was never angry. It was just our inner critic. When we, when we see his face and he, he's got his nail, nail scars in his hand and he reaches out to you, he says, welcome home. He says, you're home. No more pain, no more struggle, no more sin, no more tragedy, just eternity with Jesus. And in, in that moment when we see his face after this long journey of life, it'll all be worth it. We will fully enjoy him and his plans and his presence forever. And if we believe that day is coming, we will joyfully finish the journey, knowing that all of God's promises will come true. God has called us to be a church of faithfulness, people whose trust leads to obedience. We can live the journey of faith by getting going, staying on track, and finishing well. I'm going to invite the band up, uh, and in a moment we'll be taking communion. So if you don't feel comfortable receiving communion coming forward, uh, there should be some in the baskets next to you. But as we think about this journey, a long obedience in the same direction, we can think about this table. This table is a reminder that God keeps his promises. When Abraham took his one and only son up that mountain, knowing that God had called him to sacrifice his son, there was probably a mixture of emotions. This was the boy he had waited for. This was, this was the child of the promise the one through whom all of God's promises were supposed to come, and now Abraham had to kill him? The, the, the promised one, the, the child, he had to kill him for God? Why would God, why could, why would, how could he? But then he thought about God and how God had kept every promise up until that point. Every single thing that God had said would happen, happened. And so he went up the mountain. And he believed that God would either provide a sacrifice or he would provide a resurrection. Thankfully, Abraham's faith and God's promise proved true. God provided a ram to be a sacrifice in Isaac's place. But almost 2,000 years later, there was a different hill. There's a different mountain. And there was not going to be a replacement. 
And that hill was called Calvary. And on it, God, the very one who promised to rescue his creation from its brokenness, God himself died. You see, God was unwilling to sacrifice Isaac. God was unwilling to have Isaac die for him. But God was more than willing to die for you and for us and for me. And as we come to this table of communion, let us remember this. God keeps his promises. May we have the faith of Abraham that trusts even in our doubts, that follows God no matter where he calls, knowing that he will provide the means to our rescue or he will provide a resurrection. It says this in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 11. This is Paul speaking to the church in Corinth. For I pass on to you what I've received from the Lord himself. On the night when he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took the bread and gave thanks to God for it. Then he broke it in pieces and said, this is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup of wine after supper saying, this is the cup. Sorry, this cup is the new covenant between God and his people an agreement confirmed with my blood. Do this in remembrance of me as often as you drink it. For every time you eat this bread and drink this cup, you're announcing the Lord's death until he comes again. Let's pray. God, you are calling us to be faithful. You're calling us to be a church of faithful people, a people who are committed to the long haul, who are committed to the journey that you're calling us on, to follow you wherever you lead, God, you're not a God who calls us to do something that you haven't done yourself because you are faithful to us God and even in our unfaithfulness and even in our sin and our ways that we run away from you and we choose other things over you you still remain faithful to us God and so this morning as we respond to this message as we respond to your message of communion God may we reflect on the sacrifice of Jesus because ultimately at the end of the day, it's not Abraham's faithfulness that saves us. It's not our faithfulness that saves us. It's Jesus' faithfulness. So Father, I just pray that as we come forward, that you would prepare our hearts, God, to remember what you have done and to remember that you are the God who keeps promises. And you are the God who is there in the midst of our doubt, calling us back to yourself. We thank you so much for all you do. We just pray that this whole service will be worshipful to you. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.